0: Are you ever curious what's going on behind the scenes in Hollywood? You watch a Netflix show or a Marvel movie and you wonder, why was that person in it? Why did this movie get made? I'm Matt Bellany, founding partner of Puck News, and I'm covering the inside conversation about money and power in Hollywood. With my new show, The Town, on the Ringer Podcast Network, I'm going to take you inside Hollywood with exclusive insight on what people in show business are actually talking about. Multiple times a week, we're going to bring you short, digestible episodes featuring some of the smartest people I know breaking down the hottest topics in entertainment to tell you what's really going on. Follow The Town now and listen on Spotify. Spotify.
1: Hello and welcome to The Answer. I am not Chris Ryan and the guy across from me is also not Chris Ryan. Chris Ryan I think is out there somewhere in London getting drunk celebrating Joel Embiid's game winner. So we have with us Rob Mahoney from The Ringer. So happy to have you. How you doing Rob?
2: I'm sorry I'm not Chris Ryan. I wish I could be Chris Ryan. But today we'll try to bring a, a Chris adjacent energy to this podcast, I would say.
1: I actually wake up every morning and those are my affirmations. I look <laughs> in the mirror and I say, I'm sorry, I'm not Chris Rye. And that is my way of apologizing to the universe. And I hope that in exchange it, it, it gives me abundance. And it has. It has. We have had honestly like one of the most exciting first rounds. Uh, usually it takes a little while for the first round to get to get hype, but uh, this is this is a time in a series where I really start to love because the rubber starts to hit the road. We had Grizzlies-Wolves game three, Jazz-Mavericks game three, and Warriors-Nuggets uh, game three. All the cliches have been true for all the series now. We have had road wins, so it means the playoffs have started. And that's why I'm actually really excited to have you on today, because tactically, you are an absolute genius. A genius in many ways, really. Wow. Yeah, no, I'm going to be nice today. I know, it's, it's crazy. It's crazy.
2: I'm blush- I mean, I know this is a, an audio medium, but I'm blushing all over this podcast. <laughs> I will say, not only do I think a series doesn't start until the road team wins, I think the the playoffs don't really start until some prominent starter gets totally benched to deal with a matchup. And that's kind of what we saw in the the Grizzlies-Wolves game, right? Steven Adams, out of there. Brandon Clark, Kyle Anderson, you guys are in and all of a sudden that series looks totally different.
1: Yeah, completely. Like I didn't I didn't think it could get worse than a 10-point fourth quarter for the Nets and then and then the, the Wolves just did us one better. That was a crazy game last night. And yeah, to your point, Adams is a minus 14 in the series, Brendan Clark plus 13. And that, to me, has actually just been the difference. I'm excited to dig into this one, but that's a great place to start. Where do, where do the Wolves go from here now that Steven Adams is no longer going to be on the basketball court? I was actually at games one and two. And game two, I think, I think the Grizzlies actually got a little bit lucky. They lucked into the fact that Adams got foul trouble real early. Uh, he was out in the first two and a half minutes of the game, and we didn't see him after that. We saw some Brandon Clark. We saw my guy, Xavier Tillman. Uh, they, are, they are playing small, and they're a team that can play small and still be really physical and still be really big. It's gotten the Wolves in a little bit of a tizzy. It's gotten Carl anthony Towns in a little bit of a tizzy, too. I still think this is going to be a pretty long series. Uh, these teams match up really well against each other. But, yeah, we're going to have to see some adjustments from, from the Wolves.
2: Well, you could see it just in the runs in this game, and it, you know, we, we, there's obviously the big 21-0 run that got the the Grizzlies back in it, but the Wolves had their own 12-0 runs, 10-2 runs, kind of all throughout this game where they were, they were putting their mark on it, and they were imposing their will on it, and they were really controlling it in a lot of ways. I think in some sense, in a way that was that was unsustainable. And we saw a little bit of reaping what you sow in terms of some of the process stuff that was working for them early. And it's it's complicated because it's on the one hand, Pat Beverly is driving right past John Moran in the first quarter in a way that is flat embarrassing. That should not happen. But the trade-off for that is then Pat Beverly ends up taking maybe more shots than he should in the fourth quarter because he's really feeling it. And so you get this benefit from him early, And you get the cost of it late. And there's a similar thing going on with D'Angelo Russell where it's like he makes some great plays over the course of this game, but then presses a little bit too much when he gets going. And when Carl Towns is nowhere to be found for a variety of reasons in the fourth quarter, that stuff really hurts you. And it takes away – it makes even what the Wolves were doing well feel like it it comes at a cost to them.
1: Yeah, I I thought it was actually an incredible slow play by by jaw to let pat bev beat him for the entire first quarter just to completely demolish him unreal (laughs) because it just you know it got the wolves out of their game is that is that all you saw as as being unsustainable just those two you know i because i think i think it's the same sort of deal with D'Lo. obviously we rely like you can rely on him a little bit more on offense or a lot a bit more on offense than you can pat but it's not a D'Lo series uh the grizzlies are just really really aggressive and they're really really physical um if Jaw wasn't on the court, I think D'Lo would probably be the skinniest man on the court. But for him, it really actually shows. And we, we're actually we're also getting some really like Dylan Brooks has figured out how to foul in the playoffs and get away with it. Like he's <laughs> I like <that>. yeah. Because <laughs> if you look like last year in the playoffs, they played the Jazz and Donovan Mitchell just continuously got him into foul trouble, like just kind of coming off of a screen, pausing and letting and Brooks crash into him. A lot of those calls aren't fouls anymore. Thank the Lord, but. Brooks is also, you know, he's just gotten a little bit trickier. I, I saw some, some really nice pushes from behind when the reps weren't looking, just a little nudge. And with a guy like D'Lo, that's that's kind of enough. And that's not just Brooks. It's going to be when when Bain is on him, and it's going to be when he gets down low, like when he switches on Brandon Clark and Tillman as well. Like It's been a tough series for him to get going in general. And that first half, it was like, okay, he's here. He's arrived. Um, and we then kind of got the bad end of it too
2: well you know who has not learned how to foul in the playoffs is our our good friend Carl Anthony Towns (laughs) who cannot stay out of foul trouble in this series and I think in a way that really hurt his game and then has all the ripple effects for guys like D'Lo because if Towns is out there and aggressive and able to not only space the floor but attack everything gets so much easier for for D'Angelo Russell for you know for Anthony Edwards like these guys just have different different lanes and different opportunities if towns is an aggressive player but as we've seen when towns picks up his fifth foul fighting for post position Mm -hmm. and comes back into the game and just like can't drive the way he wants to can't post up the way he wants to he ends up just kind of floating out there
1: we did a we did like a nba sort of uh playoff jeopardy preview last week and chris picked towns as uh the guy who would be most likely to get suspended from getting picking up too many technical fouls. I had Luca only because I think you got to pick up seven, and it would just be a lot to pick up. You know, one per game. Like that's just even for, even for somebody who complains as much as Towns, uh, it would just be a lot. But you know, he hasn't really fallen prey to that much. I think he needs to dial it up a little bit against the refs. I think it's time to pick up a technical or two. Well,
2: bring the battle to them.
1: I think so. Well, we'll talk about Nuggets Warriors later, but I think it benefited Jokic that he got ejected in game two. Like he got, didn't win the game, but he got a few more calls and he, that, that he, you know, he wasn't getting on the road. But yeah, game one and two, he spent some time in foul trouble. In game two, he had some, he had some ticky tack fouls that were like, come on, man, like you just can't make those. And, and Chris Finch actually said that uh, as much after the game, looking at Towns' fouls in game three. I got feel for the guy, man. I feel for him. He gets
2: a tough whistle overall, I'll, I'll say. He
1: does. He's he's a little flimsy. Like, I think him and Jaron Jackson actually have the same problem in that, like, they probably foul as much as, like, Jaron Jackson probably fouls as much as, like, your average defender does. The way that his body moves, it makes it look like he's out of control. <laughs> <laughs> Whereas, like, you get a guy like Draymond, like, he's fouling the crap out of Jokic all night, but it's like, he just can't tell because he's just, like, he's he's a brick wall. You know, like, his his arms move, but, like, his his elbows don't as much i guess i don't know we're uh we're getting into some, some deep body analysis here but yeah i think i think it's it's time for towns to dial up the physicality a little bit more too like just kind of like that that game one i think he just kind of went for it he didn't really let the foul trouble bother him as much either but at the same time like i th- also think that the grizzlies the way that they're defending him is really smart i don't know how much they can really like the wolves can really do about that i guess so they they guard him with bane essentially or brooks on the perimeter or you know like you know sometimes i want a jaron but essentially it's that and then like if he gets out to the post they bring a double and then they you know you can you can try to beat the grizzlies with passes but you know it's your funeral really like they'll just kind of get out on tr- transition on you and there are some moments where you know they would run a pick and roll and get a switch on job before they went down there and that, I think, works a little bit better. But in general, I think it's just a really good strategy. And we're kind of like, we're going to be going into game four. And I don't think that the Wolves have actually found like an appropriate counter to it. Other than trying to make Towns make like cross-court passes all game. And, you know, it can work every once in a while, right? But it's just not, I it's, it's a really dangerous strategy, I think, against the Grizzlies. But
2: this is the time, if Towns is going to crack something, this is the time to do it. Because you have some games on film not only against that initial matchup with Steven Adams, which is off the table now, but some of these smaller looks as well, whether it's guys, as you were saying, like Bain or like Brooks kind of cross match, they're, they're doing kind of like weird zone matchup kind of stuff sometimes to keep Towns on an uneven footing. But then Anderson is just straighting up guard, guarding him some, obviously Clark will get his moments doing that too. But it's all about those second defenders. It's all about forcing those passes, putting him in pressure situations and seeing how he deals with it. And Carl Towns, is a guy who kind of lives in his own head sometimes on the floor. You can see him thinking out loud and processing where the pass is supposed to go, where the defender is coming from. I think he's actually gotten a lot better at it over probably the last season and a half, but he's not there yet, clearly. And hopefully getting some of that stuff on tape and seeing where those like what those angles are can help him a little bit, but ultimately he kind of is who he is at this point. And you're not going to be able to funnel an incredible amount of offense through him. They're still going to have to kind of triangulate between him and Russell and Edwards in particular to make this thing work, but you can get more than six shots. You know, you can be more of a presence than you were in game three. Absolutely.
1: Yeah. I almost wonder if it's time for, for some rotational changes there too. And maybe this invites Adams back onto the court in a way that can play into the Wolves favor can we get some towns Nas Reid minutes? Oh, interesting. Well, if if you're gonna bring like four guys to cat, then you might as well have somebody trying to get an offensive rebound that isn't him. You know.
2: I mean, I think theoretically Jared Vanderbilt is that guy. I mean,
1: he's kind of been theoretical though this season. This A little
2: bit, but he, but he's valuable defensively, and so like that's the thing with this team that's always so interesting is they're very reliant on Pat Beverly and Jared Vanderbilt for their defense. Those are the guys you want to flex out of a series for offensive reasons. Sometimes you want to have more spacing. You want to have guys who can attack a little bit more. And so then you're stuck. Like who, who, what kind of team do you ultimately want to be? Because I've actually really liked Minnesota's defensive energy in this series. Like they're playing up and into the Grizzlies a lot. They've done a great job bringing it in that way. It's just, they're getting beaten transition. They're, they gave up this huge run in the fourth quarter of this game in particular and their offense is falling apart on them. And I like, I don't know how you do that other than you need a little bit more structure in what you're running. And maybe, maybe that is where all eyes turn to Chris Finch, refusing to call a timeout in the middle of these massive runs, which, which really, really cost Minnesota in this one.
1: Yeah. I mean, I, I know you, you had some thoughts on that. So you, like, I can just give you the four there. Well,
2: I'll just say this, like, I think I'm a little bit agnostic on this issue in general. Like, There's obviously the whole Phil Jackson, let let him play through it and and twist in the wind kind of thing. I don't really care one way or the other whether you call the timeout. But when your star player's in foul trouble and then out of the game, that's when you need to call a timeout when a team goes on a huge run like that. And especially when they come back all the way to tie the game. Like when Desmond Bain hits that three to tie the game in the fourth quarter after this massive run, that's a timeout. That is a, okay, everyone come back. Mm -hmm. I I don't care whether you put Towns back into the game then or not. That's honestly one of the toughest coaching calls in sports. Other team goes on a huge run. Your best player's in foul trouble. When do you pull the plug and put them back in? That's a really hard call. Mm -hmm. But you can at least get the guys over there. Guys who have never been in big games before, like Edwards, who... Like, Russell has never been very good in big games before. Like, I don't know who you're relying on in this case to figure it out, because there just isn't a track record for any of the guys on the floor doing that.
1: Yeah, there's two things there, too. Like, I think we just saw a little bit too much after game one. You know, Edwards killed Adams on those on those drops. After they went away from that, the Wolves kind of just went away from Edwards. Now, we had like a pretty bad first half in game two. So I get why, you know, you want to. Maybe go away from him a little bit. But at the same time, it's like you're not really getting a lot of scoring. If it's not Brandon Clark, I still think that he's going to be able to get to the rim at will. And then you don't really have as much shot blocking in there. And, you know, he's a little bit more of a stabilizing force. I don't think he's like he's a young player doesn't make necessarily the best of decisions all the time. Uh, but if you don't have Towns in there, and they also, like, they did look discompo- discombobulated. I just went back and watched, and, like, they missed some threes that they just normally wouldn't miss. Like, Beasley just missed two in a row from the left wing. Beverly, who you'll let shoot, like but, like, but missed, like, a wide open um, from the right wing, too. They got unlucky as well, but they just looked, like, a little bit discombobulated. And the, I think I think the Grizzlies were getting them to shoot the shots they wanted to shoot, I, I hate saying this because I love the way that the Wolves play, but is it, like, is it just time to slow things down and just get, like, some some towns in the high post and, and you know, circles running around him action going? Because, like, you got to get... Well, you got to get him more involved somehow, right? Like, the Grizzly's going to play super physical, and they're still, like, they're still putting smaller guys on him. So, like, let's maybe take a little bit of advantage of that. And I also wonder, like, I was going to throw this at you. Like, what do you think about starting with Daniels and just giving him the jaw assignment?
2: Yeah, I don't know about that because I thought they actually did a good job and pat beverly did a pretty good job overall of keeping jaw out of the paint for a lot of this game they did a good job building a wall in front of him seeing lots of hands lots of defenders i'm not sure how much that changes the dynamic of what they're doing plus i guess in that case you'd be taking vanderbilt out is that the idea
1: yeah actually let me let me amend that a little bit you make good points i'd almost make it more so like in the moments a town's going to be out especially if he has foul trouble i'd go to mcdaniel's because i think that like he brings a little bit of extra energy. Uh, but also like you know, looking back at, at, at this game, to Town's credit, especially in that first quarter, um, his rim protection was pretty solid. Yeah. And when they got him out of there, there's a lack of depth beyond him. Um, at least for like somebody who's just like really big, right? Um, and maybe maybe that's a Nas Reed thing, like maybe maybe there's another way to do it, but I almost just like I just want more long bodies on the floor
2: well you certainly come to the right place like mcdaniels is so great for that and i've really liked his energy on top of the fact that he's hit some huge shots Mm -hmm. in the series already i think there's there's been a lot of promising stuff from him as a key piece of this core going forward and so honestly maybe you put him in a more central role not only to Mm -hmm. compete in the series but just as a point of developmental emphasis like he is a guy we need to be important to our team Let's, let's see what he can do. Let's stretch him out a little bit in this big time matchup in which he's been pretty effective so far. Let's see the range of what that could be for us.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Cause like, I think every playoffs, like for the teams that make runs, there are guys who kind of like role players who end up stretching out their games and doing things that we don't necessarily expect for them. And McDaniels seems kind of just primed for that to happen. And it's, it's almost like, I I just feel like the wolves kind of need to get out of their own way and allow for that. You know what I mean? Like it's, He's showing you something. So just kind of like, let's let's keep one of the well.
2: Well, these conversations are now intersecting because as far as who's guarding Jaw and what's happening there, I actually thought, you know, Jaw was pretty well contained until the Grizzlies just went to spamming Ja Morant, Brandon Clark pick and rolls over and over and over. And that's where you get into this role player thing you just mentioned. Brandon Clark Completely changed this game, and it's honestly what I love most about the playoffs is we're all zeroed in on the stars. We're, we're talking towns, we're talking Ja, we're talking Anthony Edwards, all these matchups, and yet it comes down to one role player completely changing the complexion of what's happening on the floor. And Brandon Clark did that; like he completely changed this game.
1: Yeah, Brandon Clark has honestly completely changed this series. Uh, like from from the moment that they, you know, inserted him over over Adams, like he has been. Well, he's been offensive rebounding. He he's he's catching lobs. He's like a right place at the right time type of guy. Him and Ja almost have like a telepathic connection at this point. Like they they just play so well off each other in pick and rolls. And he's he's defending everybody. Like I think he's probably been. I haven't checked the numbers on this, but he's probably been the best Edwards defender on the grizzlies and you know just the fact that they can switch and lose nothing on those it just that's when the wolves offense gets really mucked up like in, in game two especially as well like that they started playing some hero ball they just kind of started like you know it just it's it's crossover crossover jump shot and that's not the wolves at their best um, the wolves at their best are kind of like having three separate ecosystems and you don't know what the hell to do because like there's, there's Carl Towns and you got to double him and then like, well, you can't kick it out to Anthony Edwards and let, like, let him beat your, like he, he's going to beat your guy, guy on a closeout. And then, you know, Russell's going to hit every shot. Like that's what makes the wolves so tough. They can defend one-on-one. Like, I, th- I think that's just kind of the grizzly secret, right? Like they, they have a lot of guys who communicate really well on defense and they do a lot of creative stuff, but they also just don't really have a lot of vulnerabilities either. Like, Like you gotta bring help side on on towns, especially if you're gonna go small. But other than that, they just really like they've been able to play this series pretty much straight up outside of towns. Well,
2: it goes both ways too. It's not just Brandon Clark and Jaron Jackson and guys like that being able to guard smalls. It's as you alluded to earlier, Desmond Bain being able to guard bigs and Dylan Mm -hmm. Brooks fouling the hell out of everybody to the point that he can guard anybody. You know, (laughs) being able to kind of shrink those margins in height when you're in those mismatched situations. That's playoff basketball. That's why all of these games, like all these ones we're going to talk about, they all devolved at some point into, can you create in one-on-one situations against switches? And if you can't do that in the playoffs, you lose. That's just, that's the whole thing.
1: Yeah. And I guess that's just kind of the weird thing with the Wolves. And also what I think was going to make this still a longer series is that they've got some guys that can do that. This is like, this, this one's going to be fun. Do you have any predictions for this series yet? Where do you see it going from
2: here? I mean, I think the Grizzlies win. I, I think we've seen enough movement in it, especially since their early struggles. But just how dicey this game looked, I think, speaks to how competitive it can be. The Grizzlies can be in the driver's seat and still give up big runs because yeah. their half-court offense is what it is. And it's going to hit walls sometimes. Uh, but I love their bench. I love the control they get out of those second units. I love you know, that they can plug... Xavier Tillman into this series and he can be a meaningful part all of a sudden. And then you look over on the other side and it's like, what are the wolves getting from anyone who isn't in their starting lineup? Not na- not named like Nas Reed, basically.
1: That's a really good point. I think we're going now with, we have this series and we have the play and we have moments from a series against Utah where the Grizzlies have kind of proved the notion that you can't play your bench in the playoffs wrong. I think they're honestly one of the only teams that, that that's been true for i feel like they're the exception that really proves the rule really because you know you usually just can't but they just have such smart players off the bench and guys who can reasonably create too like i feel like that's usually what happens in the playoffs like you know, like most offenses will be like a bench defense, right? And I, th- I think the Grizzlies bench defense is better than when well, Joss sits down, you know, like that's kind of, that's, that's honestly a big part of it. They look like grit and grind 1.0 when, when it's a bench, right? Like it's just, it's just impossible to score on. And they have really smart decision makers on, on the offensive end where it's, it's enough. Like, you know, like, Desmond Maine's gonna make the extra pass, and and so is Brandon Clark. And you know, Tyus Jones. One of
2: the best bench players in the league, just straight up one of the best bench players in the league.
1: that fourth quarter, like that 12-minute mark, pretty much up until like the seven-minute mark in the fourth quarter for the wolves. Like I was just watching and I was like, they miss like it, it I think they probably should have had D'Lo on on the floor there, but like they just miss a Tyus Jones type of guy. Like they need an off-the-bench floor general. And of course, he would just, you know, Tyus Jones going home and just just ripping it on his own team. is like, That's got to be depressing for Wolves fans. I'm sure they're all like, yeah, no, we know we could use Tyus Jones.
2: In fairness to the Wolves, I think we all need a Tyus Jones. You know, when we're speeding up, when we're spiraling in our own lives, we need our backup point guard to come in and just like, okay, let's let's chill out. Let's settle down. Let's do what we're supposed to do. I could certainly use that. Um, these, you know, these first couple rounds of the playoffs. My brain feels like it's going a million miles an hour sometimes.
1: Rob, I feel like you're 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 like my Tyus Jones sometimes.
2: Wow, that's honestly, the, you know, you you called me a genius earlier. That's the biggest compliment you've given me.
1: <laughs> <laughs> The playoffs are here and you can make every game feel like Game 7 on FanDuel Sportsbook, an official partner of the NBA. FanDuel is hooking you up with free bets throughout the playoffs. It doesn't matter if you're a new customer or already have an account. Just be sure to check out the app for exclusive weekly same game parlay promos. I've got the Nets winning on Saturday against the Celtics. Uh, they're gonna beat the spread at uh, negative 3.5. And I've also got Bruce Brown at plus 1,000 for the first basket. My guy Bruce Brown and KD as a leading scorer at plus 180. FanDuel has so many ways to play, and best of all, when you win, you'll get paid faster than a fast break. New to FanDuel? Just download the FanDuel Sportsbook app and sign up with promo code RINGERNBA. Once again, that's promo code RINGERNBA. And if you already have an account, you're all set to get in on the action. Either way, you'll get an assist from FanDuel when you bet a same-game parlay during the playoffs. FanDuel Sportsbook, an official partner of the NBA. 21 plus in select states, refund issued as a non-withdrawable free bets. That expires seven days after receipt. Max free bet $20 per week. Restrictions apply. See terms at sportsbook.fanduel.com. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER or visit fanduel.com RG in Colorado, Iowa, Minnesota, New Jersey, Pennsylvania, Illinois, and Virginia. 1-800-NEXT-STEP or text Next Step to 533-421-888. Seven eight nine seven 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 seven, or visit ccpgorg chat, Connecticut. 1 800 9 with it, Indiana. 1 877 770 stop, Louisiana. Tennessee Redline 1 800 889 9789, Tennessee. 1 800 4700, Wyoming. Or visit 1 800 gambler.net, West Virginia. Speaking of uh, backup point guards, but one that maybe shouldn't be playing so much in the playoffs. Let's uh, let's uh, switch over to Warriors Nuggets. A little bit of Faku action in that game. Fun stuff. Fun stuff. I thought
2: you were talking about Steph Curry as the backup point guard who shouldn't be playing.
1: They should just do that for the whole playoffs.
2: See if you can win Finals MVP coming off the bench.
1: Yeah, like just just really give Manu Ginobili a run for his money. Like we thought that was unselfish. Steph Curry coming off the bench for an entire playoff run would be absolutely hilarious.
2: It did feel pretty cruel in this game when in the first quarter, like the Nuggets are really in it. They're fighting, like they're they're looking so much better. And then you realize, oh my God, Steph Curry hasn't even come into the game yet.
1: You know, it's like the tsunami that you don't see coming. There's a storm going on at home, but you're like, you're dealing with it. There's a tornado, but it like, yep. you know, it, 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 it crisscrossed and it didn't hit your house. So you're going to be okay. And you just take this moment to breathe and you're like, okay, all right that's okay. Like we're, we're going to, we're going to stay in this, right? Like we're going to get like the nuggets, like I guess called an early timeout. Then from there, like Jokic really started to get going. And I was like, okay, maybe, maybe this is, they can stabilize this game. And then Steph Curry checks in off of the bench. And it is honestly like they've done it a couple of times, like especially when he's hurt. Like I think they, they did it in the Pelican series a couple of years ago. Mm, yep. And it really is the ultimate gut punch. Cause you just kind of like in the flow of a game, you just kind of forget and then he just comes in and it's over. Um, it's also tactically, like, there are reasons I tactically like it. Like, Jordan, Jordan Poole coming off the bench this entire season, like, every time he's had to do it, like, they were finding I – th- I think if they had, like, another two months in the regular season, they would have figured out how to get Jordan Poole going with Clay and Curry. But when those guys all came back, Poole had a tough time fitting in. Um, and I think smart, starting him is really smart. Because, like, Steph is Steph, right? If you bring him off the bench, he knows he's Steph Curry. And not to say that, like, at this point, Jordan Poole knows he's Jordan Poole. We know he's Jordan Poole. But
2: there's degrees to this. He doesn't know himself like a two-time MVP does. You exactly. Know? Although he might win five at this point. Like, I wouldn't put anything past Jordan Poole right now.
1: Yeah, no, 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 no. Like, the, there's there's absolutely no ceiling for that guy at this point. <laughs> he's, he's awesome. And it's also really funny because, I mean, I wrote a piece about Jordan Poole and, like, the idea of development really... Favoring a player who fits really well into a system, and then actually like goes out of his way to become like the players in that system. Like first of all, it's just like plug and play. And if you're a role player, like they're not going to change anything for you. So it's really smart of Jordan Poole to just become like the stars, right? Like I think for any player. But then you know on the on the other end of it too, it's like I was you know I was wondering it's like is this going to eventually be redundant? And you know coming going into the offseason obviously the Warriors are going to have to figure some things out, but. Now you kind of have you got you have Steph and the only problem with Steph ever is that he gets hurt at the wrong time. So if you just if you just have Jordan Poole for those moments, it's kind of it kind of is like it's what makes like this, this is light years. You know, like this is like Joe, like Joe Lacob saying the winning never stops. Like this is how you ensure yourself against the things that used to happen to the Warriors. Right? Like you just Steph Curry's hurt. It's all good. We've got another Steph Curry.
2: And all you had to do to get there was draft a dude with, was it the 28th pick? Who turns out to be another Steph Curry. I mean, no big deal. We're going to find a Hall of Famer in the second round in Draymond Green. This is apparently just what the Warriors are going to do from time to time is find these incredible players with menial draft picks. I I really don't understand the pool thing. And you keyed, keyed in on it on the way he plays and channeling his own career on more of a star trajectory, which is a very hard thing to do. And frankly, it almost got Jordan Pool benched a bunch of times. Like we, we've seen, mm-hmm. his his like Steve Kerr yo-yoing with his role, trying to figure him out, trying to figure out as you're alluding to what combinations you should play him in. It's it's tricky when a guy is that talented and wants to play that way and can play that way when the bottom falls out and he has a rough game or a rough stretch or a rough week. And it's hard to place players in that situations, but the payoff for sticking with it is this, and it's. You see Poole make shots that are just unbelievable. Like I I was watching the Grizzlies game and I'm watching Desmond Bain, and some of the shots he makes, I'm going, wow, this guy is a capital G great shooter. Like there are <laughs> a lot of there are a lot of very good shooters. Bain is a great shooter, and Poole blows him out of the water. Like some of the some of the makes he had he had a a, a high pick and or a side pick and roll, pulled up Demarcus Cousins in this game, wide open lane to the basket. Could have been like an easy layup. Instead, does a stutter step dance into the left corner and hits probably the dumbest and best shot I've ever seen. You know, like gets sideswiped in the process, probably fouled, complete, pure swish. I don't understand how he's doing any of it, but the fact that he is and the fact that they can reach this kind of equilibrium between him and Steph and Clay without any of those guys feeling like they're excluded is an incredible magic act. And it's, it's what's making the Warriors look... Kind of unbeatable in this context.
1: Yeah, absolutely. They're looking like old times again. Now, if you look at, you know, the, the Suns, Devin Booker is going to be out for two or three weeks, and this Nuggets team is not good. So I don't want to overreact too much The to Warriors being up 3-0 against them, but I think the Warriors are kind of favorites again.
2: They're playing like it. Absolutely. And it's not just the Devin Booker injury, but also looking across conferences with the Chris Middleton injury and an East that's like who is going to come out of the East at this point? You know, you have Miami, you have Boston, you have Philadelphia playing really well. Are any of those teams going to be up to snuff against a fully operational warriors team? I don't know. Yeah. Will the warriors be able to, to sustain fully operational warriors mode for consecutive rounds against better competition? Because as you mentioned, this nuggets team shout out to them for making this game competitive, but they are, they're not up to this. They, they do not have the horses for this kind of series. So I, I am very much looking forward to see the Warriors meet someone more on their level. I hope that is the Suns with with a healthy Devin Booker back in the lineup at some point. But it's hard it's hard to watch a game like last night and think, oh, somebody is gonna beat that team four times.
1: You know, and it kind of goes back to the pool point, right? I'm now surprised at what he misses. Like yeah. it's it's kinda like with Steph. I'm like, You got lucky, he missed a shot. And like with Clay too, and and, and Clay, you know, on offense is, seems like he's just all the way back now. Like and that that's that's huge for them as well it just gives them so much fire, firepower uh but they just have a lot of they have a lot of continuity in what they do and they have so much depth that at this point like i just don't know how you get them to stop firing on all cylinders like they pay, they played a as much as the nuggets got back into it like the Warriors were hot and they started playing a defense optional game and it really shouldn't have been that close, you know, aside from Jokic, you know, there's just guys on that team, but like, you know, they should just be able to guard and they should never score on them essentially. It's going to be really tough to beat them because like, you know, you got like yesterday you got Iguodala back and then like you start Looney and we don't like, you know, hear from him for the rest of the game. And, you know, like Draymond, Looney, Iguodala, Peyton, like they can all kind of fit into the same sort of role the exact same way. That Clay, Steph, and Pool all fit in the same sort of fabric too, right? Like, it's just going to be really hard to get them off their game. But the one thing I was looking at, well, like, we should probably do a, like a little bit on Jokic here just because the, the internet and everything as well. But the only thing I can see messing with them is a team that, you know, has a presence down low that also has perimeter threat. And... You know, I think, like, that that could be the Suns with Aiton. It could be Memphis next series, right? Like, there's just – you see the problems that Jokic gave them down the line, especially in the second half, and that's, that's the one thing I look at. And that, that to me, is just, like, it, it, we get – like, I'm really excited. I'm projecting out this future moment where, you know, Steve Kerr just goes crazy, and he's like, yeah, we're going to put Gary Payton to straight up on Steven Adams. I'm just really excited
2: for that. It is tough to imagine, like, what is the formula to beat a team when they're operating at this level? And it's like, if you think about the best Warriors lineups, are they more vulnerable offensively or defensively? Which is a crazy thing to ask, but they perform at an elite level, even when they have lesser defenders on the floor. Mm -hmm. So I I don't know. it's It's hard to imagine picking them apart. But then you start to think about what the prerequisites would be, as you said, in a team like Memphis, who... They have the switchable bodies that we talked about. They have bigs who can block shots without being anchored to a position like Jaron Jackson Jr., Brandon Clark. These are guys who come in from the weak side, who come in from behind you to block when you try to drive, who rotate really well. And if they can be on top of their stuff and keep their best players on the floor in Jaron Jackson Jr.'s case, because he's also been in foul trouble for basically his whole life, then they could make that thing interesting but maybe it doesn't matter if you keep it interesting if the warriors are just going to pop off for an 8-minute stretch where they obliterate you. You know, mm-hmm. that that's really what's so dangerous and what's so scary about playing this team right now. But what we haven't seen yet is anyone really press clay defensively yet. Cuz mm-hmm. I think his shot is clearly there. He doesn't move quite the way that pre-injury clay did. But defensively he's just kind of okay right now. And I'm I'm curious to see if teams can stretch, you know, Steph has had a good defensive season. But he's still Steph Curry. he's still small. he's still like you mm-hmm. know active hands, but you can exploit him with size. Poole is a pretty engaged defender, I think especially for his age. but again, ultimately a guy you can work a little bit. And so if you have them and Clay and can find some inroads attacking those guys, then maybe there's something to be made of a series. But you really need high level players to do that. You need to be on the Grizzlies level or on the healthy sun's level to even have a hope yeah. of doing that. So who knows if we'll actually see it. Yeah.
1: I mean, I hope we do. Cause I just, I, you know, the better the Warriors get, the more I'm like, I want to see these guys get tested. Like, cause this is all fun for them. They're having a good time totally right now. Right. Like, it's not really, it's not really all that serious. The other, the other thing I look at with them too, is like, you know, going down the line, like a lot of, a lot of Jokic's points just came from, you know, like getting, like fi- finding a way to get Bielitsa on him. That's a vulnerability there that I think a better team could exploit and then take, into like actually winning a game, but you know, the, the Nuggets just don't really have that. What do you think of the conversation, the MVP conversation around Jokic right now?
2: I think it's a regular season award, and I don't know why we're talking about it. Yeah, it's it's very strange. Like, I, I don't know how many times we can say this. Like, I really don't like Nikola Jokic could go out and sit at half court and not move for the entire series and would still be the regular season MVP. It just doesn't matter. These are irrelevant data points to what we're talking about. Mm-hmm. Um, he's not going to be finals MVP, I'll tell you that, because this Nuggets team is is quite bad. What's concerning most about this series from a Nuggets perspective, mean, concerning isn't even the right word, because they obviously have guys who can score. They're just not healthy. And so then you have Aaron Gordon, who in, in this game three, had his best offensive game by far. And by that, I mean really the only game in which he was in, had an impact at all offensively. And that's what you're dealing with. It's like, Nikola Jokic's playoff fate ultimately hinges on, is Aaron Gordon going to do anything offensively? Is Will Barton going to hit spot-up threes? Like, it, what are we going to do with our Austin Rivers minutes? This is what is this is what his team depends on. So I just don't see anything instructive in in really taking anything away from Jokic's performance one way or the other, saying this is some overwhelming proof why he should have been the MVP, or this is a clear case why he shouldn't. It, it all seems pretty irrelevant to me.
1: Yeah, it's 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 strange that we have we're having this conversation because the whole point of Jokic winning the MVP was that his team sucks. Like that was the entire idea. That was that was the whole plot. The whole season was weird. To, like they he, they don't have anybody, and he makes them look like somebody.
2: And for the record, that was also kind of the Joel and Embiid case too. Was Ben Simmons isn't even here? Mm-hmm. Look what Joel's doing with all these role players. Nobody fully trusts Tobias Harris, and yet Embiid is still dominant. Like they really have similar cases in that
1: way. Do you have any Warriors death lineup nicknames?
2: <laughs> I like how there's just a universal. Project to create these nicknames Mm -hmm. now. Like this lineup is clearly great. I haven't seen any that I love, but one kind of avenue I haven't seen mind yet is no one. I haven't seen anyone really dig into the San Francisco of it all because this is really the the Death lineup. In many ways, was an Oakland slash Oracle inhabiting creation. This is the first time we've really seen them in Chase Center with a team this good. So can we get like? The venture capitalist lineup. Can we get the angel investment lineup? Can we? Can we really kind of needle the situation? The angel
1: investors, bit? no. <laughs> uh, Iguodala would love that. <laughs> the, the seed capitalists. Come on, but yeah. It's yeah. catchy. You're right, and as, as a Bay Area resident, you know I I I'm, I'm glad that you kind of dug in, into into uh, into that bag there.
2: That's what I'm here for. I'm here to bring the local color, as we know.
1: The one I liked most was Fast Five. Yeah. Um, that was a good one, but it's, it's the chase center. Like maybe there's something there.
2: Oh, interesting. Like from a pun angle or what are you thinking?
1: Like, I don't know. You got to chase, like got to chase. I don't know. I hate it already. Like as I'm saying it,
2: that, this is the problem with these, especially lineup nicknames. They're almost always too cute by half, you know, like the, the, the death line of worked. It was just like a, a weird organic spur of the moment thing. And ever since we've been trying to, I was going to say chase it, but now I'm walking into the puns again. Uh, <laughs> And we're, we're, we're just chasing after that same high over and over. I don't know that we're ever going to get there.
1: That's kind of like watching the Warriors in general, right? Like, just like, take me back. Take me back to 2016. <laughs> <laughs> we're forcing it a little bit. Um, you know, it, I think it's time to let go. I think everybody should actually just stop trying. That's a little
2: nihilistic in general, I'll say.
1: Well, you know, when when you're when you're stuck on a feature, when you just can't figure out what to do, like you know, you can, you can stare at it for a while. You got to do that part. Right. But then after a while, I think the most productive thing you can do is actually just walk away and then you'll be doing something else and it'll just come to you. So like, let's, as a collective, just decide to stop trying to come up with a nickname. And then who knows, by like the third round, maybe like the, like, this is how, always how it happens, right? Like the opponent or like one player just makes like a quip and you're like, oh yes. That's exactly what it is. Like, that's all the, like, you know, it's just like Blake Griffin, like, finding out that Chris Paul is going to be on, on the Clippers. He's like, oh, it's going to be Lob City.
2: Or Tony Allen, Grit and Grind. Like, that's where all this stuff comes from.
1: Exactly. So let's 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 take a step back.
2: The only thing is that's not a very Warriors mindset. Like, the step back, let's not, like, we were just talking about Jordan Poole basically speaking his career into existence. Mm-hmm. I don't know. Maybe maybe there's something to be said for forcing it. In
1: some ways, it is a little Warriors-esque, though. Like I, I think they like well, first, like they're all about going with the flow, right? Like they just sure. they want to find the flow. They want to find the flow. And I, th- I think that's kind of like how, how the offense operates. Like they're not like a pick and roll heavy. Like we're gonna know exactly where the shot is coming from every time. Type of team. Like they're they're the opposite of that. They kind of just let the game come to them
2: that possession where uh steph and draymond just did like 15 give and goes in a row that needs to that needs to go in some kind of museum i don't, I don't know perfect. like video gif form <laughs> it was it was just he'd even miss the shot i don't even care it was a perfect moment
1: it did yeah it didn't matter it didn't matter i was like what like watching that i was like just thinking like is i i feel like draymond almost going through like not an actual paralysis by analysis thing but there is i i almost feel like i can feel his brain on like hyper overdrive just because there's like three steps on the floor for him now (laughs) he's like who should i run this dribble handoff with no steps backdoor cutting and clay's in the corner like i don't know like there's there's only one of me
2: (laughs) it's really a multiversal kind of problem that we have all these steps on our hands now
1: yeah that's abundant
2: absolutely but i'm totally with you like some of the most exciting moments in sports are the moment when a player like loads up when you know they're going up for a dunk, like Spencer Dinwoody loads up to to challenge Rudy Gobert, that's an exciting moment. I love the moment where Draymond loads up, puts the pass, in, you know, puts the ball in his pocket, and he's just watching Steph or Clay or Poole, and you can, you see exactly what he's looking at, you know exactly what Steph and Clay and, and, and those guys are doing, and yet the defenders are just, they're helpless. Like, they're they're face guarding, they're doing everything they possibly can, but they are five steps behind like behind whatever the action is going to be you can
1: feel them pause now right like you'd always feel like this pause right it starts like this this anticipation builds in the arena and you know like there there's always somebody like there's there's a big man who's like realizing oh no i'm i'm like i'm way too far from draymond right now he's like someone's gonna someone's just gonna like come off a screen and pop one, and i'm, I'm gonna look real yep. bad it's so much harder now because now they're looking everywhere <laughs> they're like <laughs> oh god <laughs> Like, we got to find Steph, no pool, no clay. It's it's tough.
2: Yeah, I don't know what the answers are supposed to be. And if anyone out there does, in terms of what you're supposed to do with the Warriors, I guess forward them CC to the, the visitor's locker room at Chase Center, and we'll see if we can get it to the right people. But
0: does not look like a team that can be solved at the moment. This episode is brought to you by Arby's. It's 3 p.m., and dinner is still hours to come. Maybe lunch didn't quite hit the spot. That's where the new two-for-five-dollar chicken wraps from Arby's come in available in ranch, barbecue, and honey mustard. They're perfect for the afternoon snack attack or as an add-on to your meal. Arby's two-for-five-dollar chicken wraps are here for a limited time at participating locations. Visit an Arby's near you or order ahead on the Arby's app. This episode is supported by State Farm. Man, I remember when I first got into a car accident, it was pure frustration because I did not have State Farm. And now that I do have State Farm, it is an exclamation This episode is brought to you by
2: Visible Wireless. Want a wireless provider that always brings its A-game? Switch to Visible, the wireless company that makes wireless visible. Get a one-line plan with unlimited 5G data powered by Verizon as low as $25 a month every month, taxes and fees included. And as if that wasn't already a huge win, you could use promo code RINGER20 to receive $20 off your first month just for listening to us talk about basketball. Not bad, right? You don't need more than one line of wireless to save. Just switch to Visible at Visible.com and use promo code RINGER20 for data management practices and additional terms. Visit Visible.com. The visible monthly rate is twenty five dollars per month.
1: A team that has been solvable for two years running now. The Utah Jazz. I thought
2: you were talking about the injured Warriors. I guess they were also very solvable.
1: Still, probably not as solvable as as the Jazz. I, I love the Jazz because they make me wonder if players actually regret this whole idea of like saying like telling like the media needs to pay more attention to the actual game because. <laughs> <laughs> We're really paying attention to the actual game when it comes to yeah. the Jazz, and it's just not looking good for anybody involved. It's fun because no. it's like it's a it's like this pot for like hot takes, but the hot takes are like rooted in in tactics, and they're rooted in like you know like can like you know is is Gobert really the defensive player of the year if you can't do this this and that like that is that is still a much more high level conversation than we used to have about hot takes, and somehow. Even though we still we look at things differently now, we just we can't find nuance though. We can't find nuance. <laughs> cool. And that's you that's why too much I, of
2: the human race yeah, here.
1: Yeah. I, I guess I do. I guess I do. But that's that, that's again why I'm happy to have you here.
2: I had not ever thought about it that way, but you're exactly right. Like every player who's ever complained about the media not taking their craft seriously or understanding the nuance of what they do, I don't think they had Donovan Mitchell getting destroyed every time he tries to play defense in mind. Uh, when they were saying those things. Because the subtlety of this stuff, the nuance of this stuff that the Jazz are doing, especially defensively, it's not great. It's not pretty. Uh, this does not reflect well on pretty much anybody involved.
1: Yeah, no, no. They're like, look at the nuances, and we're like, oh, yeah, we are. And they're like, oh, shit. No.
2: <laughs> <laughs> oh, shit. They dug into how much Donovan Mitchell is passing to Rudy Gobert. People
1: Breakdown did a video about that. That was quite good. It's highly entertaining because it's like, it's shade, but it's like the actual thing. It's not like anybody actually saying something. And that's kind of like what the Jazz have been all season. Like just these these, these remarks about, you know, things that are actually true that just come off as shade I guess because they're actually true. Like it's gonna kinda of start with like the Rudy Gobert complimenting Devin Booker as, as a defender turns into a passive aggressive thing about Donovan Mitchell, which was a stretch, I thought.
2: Well I was actually gonna say it was masterful. I thought I thought like just in terms of the people in your life, you know kind of what the pain points are for them sometimes. And you know like the one thing that if you said it to anyone else, they wouldn't care. You tell compare anybody else to Devin Booker. I don't think they really care that much, but for whatever reason, that really seemed to strike a nerve.
1: Yeah, I don't know why Devin Devin Booker versus Donovan Mitchell has always—it's—it's kind of always been this constant debate. Um, they're not even in the same draft class, and they're not really that similar players. Other than that, they are like perimeter scorers, and somehow it has like like you know the Suns Twitter versus Jazz Twitter has just been off on that like pretty much since. Mitchell has entered the league.
2: I don't know. I don't know what he was trying to accomplish, but just from a, you know, I'm going to throw this grenade into the locker room and see what happens perspective. uh, I guess mission accomplished in, in that regard.
1: Maybe, maybe Gobert was actually trying to do something there.
2: No, no. Did not did not achieve the uh, the intended effect, I guess, in that regard.
1: Yeah, hasn't gotten Donovan Mitchell to play any better defense, though. Um, so they went they went small in this game, and this is another moment where you know it's like the, the tactics say something so loudly, <laughs> um, and then Donovan Mitchell after the game, um, there there were very few post game questions in which you couldn't find him fi- like making a comment about how they went small, um. And this, this isn't all just like shade against Gobert, but like, I'm just going to give you a couple of these. Uh, They went, so they went small and they went, they went plus 13 against, uh, against the Mavs in the minutes that they went small. Wasn't enough to win them a game. Then they also ended up going back to Gobert. We'll dig into all of that, but I just want to do these Mitchell quotes first. Biggest thing is we found something we haven't done that can be taken as a shot at Rudy Gobert. I think it's probably more appropriate to see it as a, it's probably not a shot against anybody, but we're going to do this. Well, they
2: they did try to go small in the season, like with Rudy Gay. They tried that whole thing, and it was an absolute disaster. But they hadn't tried it in quite this combination before. Like Eric Paschal at the five is, is new-ish.
1: Yeah. It shouldn't be that new, but hey, you know. Uh, biggest thing is we found something we haven't done. That, I will take that as a shot at Quinn Snyder. A little bit more nuanced later. When we went small, it forces us to try to have to shift in as a team. It takes us to a great mental place. He was talking about... The increased defensive intensity, which I thought was also throwing a bone at Gobert in a sense that, you know, he talked about it later in the press conference, that sometimes when Gobert is on the floor, the perimeter guys kind of get lax in their intensity because they just know that they have such a good defender behind him. And he also called him the best rim protector ever. Um And there was also another quote, third quarter, obviously when we went small, the spacing was different. Being able to get downhill made some reads easier and hit a pass in the corner. Yada, yada, yada. That's essentially what we saw uh, when they, when they did go small. So yeah. What do you, what, what do you make of this series? Cause it is simultaneously the most depressing 2-1 deficit I have ever seen, while also leaving us with some encouraging moments because the tactic shift did, you know, it, it led to some good stuff for Utah that could probably be replicable.
2: It did lead to some good stuff. And weirdly enough, because the Gobert conversation always centers on defense and like, if this is his value, if he is the defensive player of the year, right? why can't he guard and switch situations? I think he can, for the record. But, like, why can't you do all these other tactical things other teams are doing? I didn't think their defense was great. It wasn't. But you know what worked is they just scored every fucking time. Yeah. And so some of it is specific to this matchup, right? Like, Dallas's defense, they do not have anything resembling a Rudy Gobert-level rim protector. What they do well is they guard together, they guard in space, they play up. They really are reliant on each other to shrink the floor when guys like Donovan Mitchell have the ball to to create crowds that he can't work his way out of. And so if you stretch the shape of that, where every player is one or two feet closer to the three-point line, all of a sudden you're getting dunks every time. And so with Pascal on the floor in this game, the Jazz's offensive rating was 148 points per 100 possessions. Uh, That is face-meltingly unsustainable. Incredible offensive surge from them in those minutes. They're not going to do quite that again, but that was the difference to me. It really wasn't about our defensive intensity, our mentality. It's like, if you score every time, the game is going to be a lot easier.
1: Yeah, I'm with you. I'm with you. And this is like, it is, it is a part of the Rudy conversation that we don't, don't really have enough because we are, to your point, like way too focused on the defense end of it. It was just like, it was a layup line. It was a layup line and a corner three line, basically. Yeah. And, you know, it was, it was also some of the most efficient looks. That Mitchell got all series right, like pretty much when Gobert's in the game with him, it just turns into like Euro Step Floater Town. And you know Mitchell can definitely make some better decisions in those moments, but it's also like you see it with Conley too. It's pretty much anybody driving into the lane, they, you know, there's somebody's gonna like you're gonna have somebody step to them pretty much every single time. Like that's just that's just what it is with Utah. They just make they make life too easy for. They make decisions too easy, I think, for for a defense uh, way easier than they should be for some for a team that has somebody as talented as Mitchell on it. Um, and I, th- I think that might be more key than any personnel situation or like Gobert or anything like you just you got to make you got to make your opponent think. And when it's Donovan Mitchell, or really anybody, you know, driving into the lane that's about to get get to a layup, or am I going to help off of Rudy Gobert, you know your decision every single time, because the guy shoots, like, 25% outside of the rim. Like, he's just really bad outside of the rim, and he can't, you know, you don't want to let him dribble, and... well, oh, if you're the Jazz, like if, if you're Rudy Gobert, you don't want to let yourself dribble. You know, even yeah. on the catch, he's, he's easier to strip than pretty much every big man in the league. And it, it speaks to, I think, like this lack, the lack of versatility that he has just really hurts their offense. Like, the, to me, the issue with him is way more on that end than it is his defense at this point. And you wrote an article last year, actually, about or maybe it was two years ago. You can you can correct me if I'm wrong about the importance of versatility from that big man position in the playoffs. Like, is that, you know, you can have three point shooters and like, you know, every team's going to need a creator, but like the key to really getting your offense to run at like a five cylinder level is having that bam at a bio type, the Draymond green type, you know, a Deandre Ayton type, like a, I mean, we can name guy after guy, but basically somebody at the four or five position that is going to be able to get to the middle of the floor and make multiple decisions, whether that's, you know, a little floater or like, um, you know, just, you know, being able to hit that pass on the other end, like it's in in the corner, (laughs) you know, and you also wrote a great Siakam feature um, from a couple of days ago on, you know, just, he has become one of those players as well. Like he's just like, he's really good at getting to the middle of the floor. And I think he said something along the lines of, you know, once you're, on the middle of the floor you can see everything and especially if you're a big guy right like you can see over pretty much the entire defense survey everything and then make a decision and I think that's really what Utah is missing and maybe that's I don't want to give them too much hell for it either because I think in the trade deadline they knew that they tried to like you know like I think they're, they're getting a lot of criticism right now for their personnel Um, and I think Quinn is also getting criticism for, like, I I do think that he could be a little bit more creative, but at the same time, like they just don't really have that type of, of, of guy, right? Like they tried to make Rudy Gay that guy, like Pascal is not quite that guy. Although I do think they like, you know, they need to go to him more. Um, and that is, that is essentially to me what Gobert lacks. It's the ability to kind of be a secondary or even a tertiary decision maker from that place. Because it just it, it just bogs everything down for them.
2: It's one of the biggest deficits in his game. But at this point, I don't know why you would possibly or how you could expect him to become that. You know, he kind of, he's going to be what true. he is. And I think you meet him at that point And you say, are you doing those things effectively? Mm-hmm. And that's why I look at a game like this. And it's like Rudy Gobert plays 29 minutes and had zero offensive rebounds against Dwight Powell and Maxi Kleba and Dorian Finney-Smith. And the Mavs are very good about rebounding in crowds. It's what they do but you got to be more of a force offensively in that regard cuz he was he was catching some lobs mike conley did a great job of setting him up but otherwise you're right like with the way the jazz offense is built they don't have that guy who's going to redirect possessions from one option to the other there's a reason why they rely so much on getting you in the blender and getting you rotating and giving you getting you overextended because if they have to shift themselves from one option to the next they don't really have the personnel to do it And so that's why those small ball lineups were so effective is they were getting the Mavs rotating so much, they're getting layups and threes, as you mentioned. When they're not creating in those circumstances, they're not moving anyone enough. They don't have the ability to dramatically shift their style. They really do play one way. And they can get to, you know, Boyan Bogdanovich has had a great series, like just creating against mismatches and finding his angles and spots. He's done a really good job within the role that he can play But there are limits to this stuff. And it's tricky, though, because if if they were any good defensively in this game, they win. And we're not having this conversation. Their offense has been, for the most part, fine. Fine to pretty good, I would say, in this series. But they can't guard anybody. I, I don't know what you're supposed to do with that other than we're going to point to Donovan Mitchell. We're going to point to Jordan Clarkson. We're going to point really to every perimeter defender on the jazz roster because none of those guys are doing their jobs and the system is not built in a way that can sustain that.
1: That's actually a really good point about the system. Like I, I think they need to give Gobert a little bit more freedom to rove around as well. Um, you know, I think like those are the things that end up making him look bad on a, you know, if you, you want to cherry pick videos and everything. Um, but at the same time, it's like the the way that they have him in the drop and they have Hassan Whiteside in the drop as well. That's another man like, you know, playing Hassan Whiteside minutes and, also, and, and not getting any offense re- re- rebounds is a huge L2, right? Like both those guys need to play with a lot of force. Like Gobert needs to play with way more force. He needs to be rolling harder. Like he just he, he needs to just be all the way in it on offense in a way that he just hasn't been. Um, he just looks like he's a little disengaged on the end. There's like times where it looks like he doesn't even like want to catch the ball. That's its own issue. But I like I, I look at this team and I'm like, okay, like they're the perimeter guys are also like, you know, Mike Conley is old. And small. Yeah. And I just I I think that regardless of what happens in this series, like they are gonna need to have some wholesale changes. And you know, it's it's fun to talk <laughs> Rudy trades. Like I was I had this, I was gonna do this thing, like basically just like Yeah, like if you look at like the Hornets or the Hawks, they are kind of perfect uh, destinations for Rudy Gobert. And if I was like, if I was in that front office, I would go to Mello and Trey or like, you know, if I had like any, any like young scoring guard who didn't play defense, I'd be like, you better start playing better defense or we're going to trade for Rudy Gobert. And he's going to be your pick and roll partner for the rest of your career.
2: This this is very mean and undeserved, I'll say, undeserved on Rudy Gobert.
1: It is mean. It is mean.
2: You don't. You don't think Lamelo would jump at the chance to play with Rudy Gobert after rocking with Mason Plumlee this year? You don't think he'd be eager for that?
1: Okay, well, just the fact that he hasn't had that type of guy. But if you replace him with like, let's say, like with the Hawks, like yeah. you look at it, like you know, Clint Capella. I think I'd rather. I think I'd rather run with Clint Capella, a healthy one at least, right? Or John Collins. It was me because I, I said that yesterday. And as I've been thinking about it more, I wonder if they should kind of take the tack of like the the Lob City Clippers even and look for a four that can play alongside. Rudy, like look for that versatile guy then rudy can just be the five and you don't like give him all the hell for not being all these things that he can't be and then you know getting those law passes over to him will be easier for a four-man anyway than it is for mitchell uh but yeah like are there any like where does this team go from here essentially like are there any deals that you like for them well
2: i mean let's see if they get out of this series first like this is just two one you know i'm not blowing anything up yet
1: but they should though I'm like wait, like they can make their second round, but like this is they are Luca's not playing yeah. right. Very now. Very
2: concerned, and we should we should talk more about the Mavs and what they're doing well too. But I will say, from a philosophical standpoint, I would love to see Gobert in Toronto, and really, I'd love to see him paired with a coach who will do different kinds of things defensively. And this is why I brought up the system and the scheme earlier, because the conversation around Rudy Gobert is the idea that he is a limiting factor in how you play defense. He is a drop big. That is what he needs to do. That is what your system will be. And therefore, those are the limits. Those are the parameters of what his impact on the game can be. I don't think that's necessarily reality. And there are a lot of times, and this game is, I think, a, a big piece of evidence in this discussion, that the Jazz are a little too dogmatic in playing the way that they play. And that Rudy could actually be more flexible. Because if you look at some of those possessions in which he ostensibly did something wrong, it's like one possession... He'll rotate away from Dorian Finney-Smith in the corner because Donovan Mitchell got completely blown by on the perimeter and he's trying to meet a guy at the rim and it's kick out for open three. Next possession, he sticks with Dorian Finney-Smith and Donovan Mitchell gets blown by or Jordan Clarkson gets blown by and it's a layup. I don't know what that guy's supposed to do in that circumstance, but if you put him with more capable defensive personnel in a system that allows him to do different things, like can you imagine some of Toronto's like weirdo zones but go bears on the low block or go bears in the middle or doing whatever, whatever you want him to do. Cause he's, as I mentioned, he's actually a pretty decent switch defender. I think he's actually more versatile than he gets credit for. He just can't guard everybody. And that's where the jazz are.
1: I love the Toronto idea just because like, it just has them lean even further into this thing of like, let's just get all the guys with the biggest oh, yeah. wingspans at their position Absolutely. on the floor, tie together. their arms
2: together. They don't should, let anybody. They move. should.
1: I've been like, yeah, for sure. Like, go Red Rover on this and just see what happens. I love it. I love it. Like, you got four guys on the top, and then if you get if you get through, like, you got Rudy at, at the rim. Like, it's just it would be almost impossible to defend. I don't know how they would score, but like that's, that's, that's a problem that's a, for like, another well, day. Yeah. Well, you know what? If they get enough stops, like Pascal and and uh, and Scotty Barnes running together would would get it done. You know.
2: <laughs> what What did you like from Dallas in this game?
1: I'd probably just say like. The matchup hunting, above all else.
2: Worth noting that in the fourth quarter of this game, I don't think they ran a single play. It was just can we get one of those small guards in a pick and roll? And let's just keep doing that over and over. Yeah.
1: And, you know, to Utah's credit, they just they just provided a, a menu of options yeah. for them to take from
2: a boundless feast.
1: It's just kind of easy for the Mavs like they, they have Brunson and, and Dinwiddie, two guys who can create off the dribble and create their own shots that are smart and, and patient and a bunch of shooters around them. So you might not have Luka Doncic, but you can kind of replicate that system over and over again with those guys and get just really like run really simple, smart offense And it just, you know, that's just kind of what they did all game, whether it was, you know, even even when um, even when the Jazz went small, it didn't really kill the Mavs offensive flow at all. Like they got a couple of threes, they got a couple of layups and, you know, they kind of just kept doing their thing. Um, And it was just it was just a different. Defender that was being broken down, essentially, right? Like, but that's it's just it's just real easy right now for them, honestly. Like, it just you just play play simple basketball, do your thing, like make make some kick out passes, swing it. Like, I don't know.
2: Well, I I think it is it's simple. It may not be easy, but it is simple, and that's a big problem for the Jazz because theoretically their defense is supposed to take the simple stuff away. They're supposed to force you into tougher long twos and stuff like that. And if you're if you're just working around. All of the structure that they put in place, as Jalen Brunson has throughout this entire series so far, you're going to lose. And Brunson has been so good in manipulating those situations and stringing out pick and rolls, in playing Gobert. And, you know, no one for the Mavs in the Series has been very successful at the rim. Like Gobert has actually done a pretty good job of that when he's been around. And you've seen guys like Dinwiddie think two and three times before they try to throw up a layup or a floater and get blocked a bunch when they do. One massive dunk aside, really. But he, Brunson's done a really good job of keeping Gobert in those intermediate spaces where he's neutralized, not guarding the three, but he has to hang around because the guards are getting blown by. And then you get Brunson pump faking 15 times, you know, doing step the step back into step through kind of moves to get all kinds of little runners. That's what he's so good at. That's why that space is particularly dangerous. If you can get into the paint and make defenses freak out a little bit, and then still control them. That's how you win a series like this. And that's how Jalen Brunson, for the series so far, averaging 32 points, five assists, five rebounds, one turnover a game, 60% true shooting, outplaying Donovan Mitchell. I, I mean, that's really bad news for the Jazz that just on a one to one level, their best player is not matching up with Ma- the Mavs, you know, s- second best creator. Uh, in, in the shadow of a guy who you know, could come back soon and just be even more dominant than that.
1: Yeah, no, it's, it's, it's not good news. And, and Brunson is, he's so good in that like mid paint area. Like he's just at for a guard. I mean, you know, like this is what I love about uh, Villanova guys too, is that they just like the positional inversions are so fun with them. Like they, they bring guys in for a couple of years and like, you're just going to work on the things that you aren't good at or that aren't really necessarily part of your game. And it ended up producing like the most fun NBA players ever, because now you enter a league that like, that isn't really designed to, it's like the the NBA is not designed to defend a guy like Jalen Brunson. Like it's not just a Utah jazz problem, right? Like it's, it's, he, he kind of presents like these impossible puzzles because he's actually just such a good post-up player. And he's so good from this area of the paint lead, which I almost feel like has become, like, the new mid-range, like, defenses are doing a pretty good job of taking the mid-range away this, uh, in, in, in this playoffs. Like, you see it with the Celtics and, and KD. You also, like, uh, the, the Wolves and Grizzlies play, like, a similar, similar style, too, like, where they're, like, you know, like, we've had enough years of guys, like, I think, um, you know, going to the nail to help that they've kind of mastered it. And now the area just slightly below that, that floater area is just, like that that's where you can really win a series now.
2: And that's the evolution of where the sport is. Because even a couple of years ago, I remember I was doing a story on the Rockets after they traded for Russell Westbrook and kind of figuring out what was up with them. And one of the things they were telling their players at that time was basically to never take shots from this range. Obviously, Houston's always been a fringe case in terms of like, we want threes and layups and free throws. At least they were in that era. Uh, but they really did not like these floater range shots. Their Their philosophy was you should always be taking one or two steps more and trying to get to the rim and trying to draw fouls. But there is a, that leaves an inefficiency to exploit. If defenses know that you're going to play that way and defenses increasingly know what shots modern offenses want. They know how to take away not just threes, but sidestep threes and step back threes. They know how to take away not only the mid range stuff you were talking about, but how to crowd the best mid range shooters in the world out of taking some of those like do-or-die playoff-winning shots that guys like Kevin Durant or Devin Booker or Chris Paul can hit. And if this is kind of what's left, is this little little square on the floor in the middle of it, I think that puts a lot of players in really interesting positions, in particular some of the guys we've been talking about, the bigs who can get into that space and make plays, the guards like Jalen Brunson who know how to manipulate your body and get you off your feet so that they can find little ways to score. And it's really changed Brunson's game, the fact that, that is now a fertile piece of land in the middle of the floor because the question going into these playoffs for him was how was he going to deal with length? He just had not been able to prove himself against longer defenders in the playoffs yet in part, because he missed a whole playoff run. Uh, I think it was the one in the bubble. And so he needed to kind of show that he could do that. And you saw not exactly the, uh, the best test case for length. Obviously they're very small in the perimeter, but even when they put bigger defenders on him, even when he has draws a big, Or has Royce O'Neill or has Boyan Bogdanovich on him, he's getting what he wants.
1: Because he's he's smart and he's strong too. Like he's got a good base. And like, you know, like you said, he can just pump fake you to death and eventually find an angle. Uh last thing before we get out of here, so the Jazz went back to small ball for like a brief period in the fourth quarter, and then they went back to Gobert. And I was curious what you thought of that, and I was curious what you see kind of going forward because that to me felt a little bit like, you know, Snyder just might not have the stomach to stick to it.
2: Well, is it stomach though or is it a little bit of a reality check? This works for one game. You know, you throw Eric Paschal in there to our point about how predictable the Jazz are. No one is expecting them to play small in this series and yet they throw it out there and they succeed. What happens in the next game that they try it? That's kind of where where my doubts and my reservations about the small ball thing will go and for the record, I think they should absolutely continue to do it, certainly in place of the Hassan Whiteside minutes. like right. There's just no reason yeah. to play Hassan Whiteside 7 to 10 minutes to 18 minutes or whatever in this in these games. Uh, so whatever you want to take Rudy off the floor, you should be playing small one way or the other. Maybe that's Pascal, maybe that's Bogdanovich, whoever you want to put in that spot. And you live with some of the trade-offs of that. But as far as like a dominant strategy... Gobert has to play in these games. They just don't have enough right. good players. No, for sure. To I'm not, not saying like, him. like
1: go Steven Adams on him.
2: Sure. Yeah. But like, so how much variability is there? Really? They already don't really pass him the ball very much. They play him a moderate amount in games like this. Again, 29 minutes in this game. I would think he's going to play around that to slightly more in most games of this series. And so you, again, you just kind of are what you are. As far as that stuff goes, the question is, can you put your guys in better positions to succeed? Can you do anything schematically defensively to scramble the Mavs up a little bit because they're not they're not running anything advanced. They're not doing anything challenging. They are just straight up beating your guys. And so what can you do structurally to help them? That's kind of where I would start.
1: I almost I almost feel like they're gonna have to go offense. Like just go go heavy on the offense to win this series.
2: They've it certainly worked for them in their best stretches of this game. You know? You know, when Conley was throwing lobs to Gobert, that version of the offense worked too. Like there mm-hmm. are ways for Gobert to be involved in that to partake in the offense that can still be really productive. But you have to be consistent with that stuff. You have to have an eye for him because you can play five out all you want, but if you're not looking for the guy who can get an easy dunk against the over rotation, you're just wasting possessions. Yeah. So uh you need the scramble either way.
1: Yeah, yeah. It's I'm a weird place with the Jazz, where like I feel like there, I see an avenue to a game for a win. I see an avenue, like, well, if Luca doesn't come back, to even like making this an interesting series. But I also I don't see an avenue to the Jazz being a team that matters long run in the Western Conference.
2: Yeah, the the trade or the uh, the opportunity is definitely there for them to win games, and you can see it just in the box score. You can see it in things like Maxi Kleba, who is I guess Clay Thompson now. Uh, Davis Bertons and Josh Green combining to make 11 threes in this game. That's not going to happen all the time. And so from a make or miss perspective, in a game that was pretty close down the stretch, a couple of Josh Green threes don't go in the first quarter. And maybe this is a different game. Yeah, maybe. Maybe the probabilities are different. So they need – but th- this is the story of the Utah – there's always something. There's always yeah. the 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 aberrational three-point shooting game that everyone points to. They just have to win these games.
1: It just goes back to the predictability thing, right? Like on those Josh Green threes, like, there's pretty poor contest by Gobert there. And I get that he has to, like, account for the rim, but, like, the guy in front of you has the ball and he's going to shoot. So do that. The players will make it about Gobert, but I think there's just – confidence now when you play their defense because you know where your shots are coming from totally and that's what has to change
2: well and to tie these games together a little bit one thing that would worry me if i were the jazz are some of the possessions where the mavs had guys like josh green who again understandably do not get guarded at the three-point line they had him doing some like draymond kind of stuff where he would catch it and he would flip the ball and set a quick screen for Bertans, who's curling around for a three. It's like the exact kind of action you want there when your guy isn't being guarded. Mm-hmm. You don't want Josh Green driving into Rudy Gobert. That's that's not productive for anybody. What you want is him setting off-ball screens that confuse the defense, that get shooters open. And if the Mavs shooters are hitting their shots, they're going to look really, really good in this series. And they have enough guys they can kind of cycle into those moments to see, okay, if, if Dorian Finney-Smith isn't hitting tonight maybe Bertans will maybe Spencer Dinwiddie will hit some off ball threes maybe you know Maxi Kleba again I have no idea how he's shooting this well it's just been a real tough sledding for him until he went absolutely supernova over these last two games
1: he was shooting like 18 percent or something right for like the last like two months of the season now <laughs> like
2: 81 like yeah you know regression
1: that, that is exact regression actually
2: crazy stuff yeah
1: yeah uh rob thanks so much for for hopping on i'm sure we'll have you back later down the line in the playoffs
2: hey, anytime if if i can come in here and be a tyus jones presence again i'm taking that all the way to the bank i'm putting that on my resume on a, i'm gonna print some business <laughs> cards this is uh this has been a lot of fun to do thanks Jared.
1: yeah no problem no problem we'll definitely have you on again go read rob siakam feature Yeah. Okay, thanks man appreciate you thanks, thanks.